0: Good evening. It is good to see you tonight. We are glad that you're here. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll begin. And I would love to tell you the number of comments that these last several lessons have engendered, but I cannot. But they have been funny, i uh, tell you that. There have been several funny comments. And uh, I'm thankful that uh, not only are you listening, you're saying, uh, I can do better in that area. That is something I need to work on, and that's a a testament to God's people and the tenderness of heart that you will find among God's people, that if the Word says we should, then we are all striving to become. And I think that's a wonderful thing about God's people, and thankful that that's your disposition toward His Word. We'll pick up where we left off this morning. Uh, there have been four in each one of the sermons. There will only be three tonight. Sorry, I know. Uh, but we'll review when we get to the end, and that, we'll call that one the fourth one. I trust that by the reading of the scripture, you can see where number 13 is, and that is when you are angry, frustrated, when you're in this fight, this heated circumstance, be forgiving. It is absolutely essential. In fact, as you read the Bible, sometimes God is just pointedly clear. He just is so clear it'd be impossible to misunderstand what he's saying. And that's one of these situations. He's very clear here with regards to the idea of mercy and forgiveness. As we read this morning in Matthew chapter 18, he said to that servant, shouldn't you have, as I did to you, Whatever I did to you, you should have done that. He's very clear about that with regards to showing compassion and mercy. Here, he's equally clear on the subject of forgiveness. In fact, as you're reading there in Matthew chapter 6, you know this is typically what's called the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. And so, to put that in framework then, this is the first time God addresses humanity in a body. This is the first time the divine nature is teaching mankind. All of the prep work that worked into our Lord's coming has been done. John, the forerunner, has come and done his course. And now the Lord, the God of heaven in a divine—in a body, the Word made flesh is teaching humanity, and one of the subjects he touches is forgiveness. He's talking about prayer. But he's very clear about the subject of forgiveness, because very often that's what we pray for. You hear it all the time in our prayers, Father, forgive us of our trespasses and sins. Sometimes, I think, my personal opinion, and I think according to Scripture, brethren go too far, and they refer to us as sinners. Forgive us, we are all sinners. No, we're saints who need forgiveness sometimes. Let's be clear about that. But nevertheless, it's a constant prayer of ours. And so, right on the heels of prayer, the subject being broached, He says this in verse number 14, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. And then he says, but, but if you do not forgive others, you tell me, do you find any language more pointed than this? If you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. I don't know if it arrests you like it arrests me, but it tells me very clear, I know I'm going to need forgiveness. I'm certain that the last time I asked God to forgive me was not the last time I'll need to ask God to forgive me. And since I'm certain of that, and having read this passage, I also know this, there's nothing you can do to me that if you ask for forgiveness, I can't give it to you. In fact, Jesus says, if you don't, I won't. He won't forgive you. Now, imagine trying to live in this life without God's forgiveness. Uh, Imagine living in this life and knowing I can never again ask God to forgive me. Why not? Because I refuse to forgive. Because I was so angry. I was so moved with my anger that the person who wronged me, I told them, I don't care what you do, I will never forgive you. And I'm good with that. And it was at that moment in my life that I realized I'll never be asking God again for forgiveness. Oh, that was about five years ago, and so I've been living my life without asking God for forgiveness for five years because God keeps His Word, and what His Word says is, if you don't, then your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. Sometimes people get to the subject of forgiveness, and like many other subjects, that may be challenging, at least on the surface it appears to be challenging, they feign confusion. I don't really know what that means. I don't really know what that looks like. Well, it becomes real easy. What does it look like when you ask God to forgive you? What is it that you want from him? What's your expectation? Maybe Psalm 103 will come to mind, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he forgiven our trespasses. Maybe that comes to mind. Maybe it's the nature of a clean slate that he doesn't keep a record first Corinthians 13 love doesn't do that And so God has forgiven me. My record is clean. I'm good with God He's washed away my sins cleansed me of all unrighteousness That's what I have in mind when I ask God for forgiveness Oh, if that's what you have in mind Well, then you're pretty clear on the subject of what God expects of you What's the key here avoid making this common mistake the common mistake is centers around the one who has been wronged and needs to give the forgiveness and the one who did wrong and needs to repent. And both people can be confused about exactly what's going on in this process. The common mistake is the person who has been done wrong and is the one who needs to give the forgiveness, he believes or she believes in their heart that this is my forgiveness, that which I have to offer is for the good of this other person. And sometimes the person who repents has in their mind, if I say I'm sorry, they're sure going to be happy. If I say I'm sorry, it's sure going to bring a smile to their face. Now, I will be miserable, but they sure will be happy. And so, I'm actually going to hedge and just wait around. Uh, Both of these are wrong. Those are the common mistakes that people make. Here is the truth of the matter. Forgiveness is for the one who is giving it. It's for the benefit of the giver when you forgive and only when you forgive are you set free free from anger free from bitterness free from carrying it around free from wrath free from revenge the burden is lifted and you are set free when you forgive Forgiveness is not necessarily for the one who did the wrong, it's for the wrong who was wronged. What if you don't forgive? Then you remain in bondage. What if you don't forgive? You get worse, not better. The infraction gets bigger, not smaller. And as time goes by, it becomes harder and harder for you to offer that forgiveness. You carry around the hurt. What about repentance? It's the same thing, just opposite. Repentance is not for the one who receives the apology, it's for the one who gives it. Repentance is for the one who says, I'm wrong. And when you admit you're wrong and apologize, when you repent and only when you repent, are you set free, free from pride, Free from anger, free from resentment, free from carrying it around, free from excuse making, free from justifying yourself, free from gossiping to others. Repentance is not for the one who has been done wrong, it's for the one who did the wrong. They benefit from that. In fact, to appreciate this, you can see it in your own sins. When you learned that your sins had put you at enmity with God and you repented, what happened? You got better. That's the nature of it. You will improve when you repent to God. What happens if you don't repent? You remain in your sins. You keep carrying it around. When you don't repent, you remain in bondage. When you don't repent, you get worse, not better. When you don't repent, the problems get bigger, not smaller. And as time goes by, see if it hasn't happened in your own life. When you and I violate where we began those many weeks ago in Ephesians 4, 26, 27, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. If you needed to say sorry yesterday and the sun went down, it'll be more challenging today. And if many suns go down, it'll just be harder and harder and harder. And over time, you'll carry it around knowing you need to, but you haven't. And you'll have to deal with your mind on the subject, and you will, in turn, give place to the devil. And so, people need to forgive, and they think, if I forgive them, I sure will bless them. No, while you may or may not bless them, you'll bless yourself. You'll be better when you forgive. You'll be better when you repent, if you need to. And God is very clear here. If you don't, then I won't forgive you. What do I do with my anger and frustration when I'm in a fight and I've said and done the wrong? You be forgiving. That's, That's what you need to do. It will help you get out of it and move on the moment you forgive. Next. If you have your Bibles, look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32. And as you turn in there, let's talk briefly about Ephesians in this fourth chapter. We said, made mention of the fact that the book of Ephesians says a lot about the church. I say it that way because I don't really think the book is about the church. It's about the God who gave the church, and there's so much material in this book about Him. What He did on our behalf to the end that the church might be brought into existence. In fact, it's referred to as His wisdom. His multifaceted wisdom, that's what the church is, and its purpose in eternity. But he did that, Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. And if you were to read chapter 1, it'll talk about how he did this. He chose us. He prepared. He, pro- he purposed. He did all of these things. He did that to the end that he might bring the church and receive glory in it, world without end. Amen. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. But as you get and work your way through the book, eventually, the Apostle Paul moves to, okay, now you are the church. How are you to live? And so, he does this wonderful thing beginning in chapter 4 and about verse 17, We're talking to now Christians who were Gentiles in the flesh, chapter 2, 1 to 5, chapter 2, 11 to 13, now he says, verse number 17 of chapter 4, so this I say and affirm with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the other Gentiles walk. How? In the vanity of their mind. You remember we talked about a changed life, transformation. When does it occur? After you're saved. You obey the gospel. Here's that sanctification piece. Now you're going to walk as a Christian. And so, Paul looks back and he says, you can't walk like you formerly walked. You can't walk like the other Gentiles do. They walk in the futility or vanity of their mind. In chapter 4 and verse 18 he says their understanding is darkened. He says they are ignorant because of the hardness of their heart. He says, and they have become callous in verse number 19, giving themselves over to sensuality and the practice of all kinds of impurity and greediness. But you'll notice a transition in verse number 20 where he says, but you didn't learn Christ. You didn't learn these things from Christ. What's the transitional point in one's life? Christ." When you live that life, and you'll want to see two, one to five, when you are dead and trespasses and when you walk in the futility of your mind, and then you learn Jesus, then changes occur. And so, he says in eight, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, you change your mind, you take off the old man, you put on the new man. This is that section of Scripture of a new life. And within this new life, he immediately begins to talk about all of these changes, the same things that exist in the world, the same things that were once done. You used to look at them one way, and now having learned Jesus, you look at the exact same thing, but you look at it another way. And so, he says, with regards to working and stealing, he says in verse 25, therefore, laying aside all falsehood, let every man speak truth with his neighbor. Is lying still a part of the world? Yes, for those in verses 17, 18, and 19, for those who are in Gentiles, for those who walk after the vanity of the mind, when they speak, they lie. I used to do that. You used to do that. That's what Paul says. You used to do that, but not now. After you take off the old man, after you're renewed in the spirit of your mind, after you put The new man, which is created in Christ Jesus under righteousness and holiness, that man when he talks, he puts away lying, and he speaks truth with his neighbor. But it's more than that. He says in verse number 26, where we began, that man now gets angry. What does he do? He doesn't sin. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. That man, verse 28, let him that steal, steal no more. But this man now labors with his hands that he might have to give instead of taking from people that which does not belong him, he goes to work, and with what he earns, he gives to people. That's the transformation. That man, notice verse 29, let no unwholesome communication or words come out of your mouth, but only such words is for edification. Now, with all of this, we're trying to get down to verse number 32, but right before verse 32, notice verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you. I keep saying, be angry and sin not. I don't want you to hear that as an endorsement for being angry. I don't want you to hear that as approval for anger. Because just a few verses later, the Bible says, let wrath and anger and clamor be put away from you. You and I are not supposed to go around choosing anger because we can. We are not supposed to allow ourselves to quote-unquote fly off the handle because we can. We are not to be angry and then say, well, you know, God allows me to be angry and Brother Eric preached us for four weeks that I could be angry. That's not what I'm saying. I'm trying to urge you that the Bible appreciates that we are humans, and that doesn't change. And as a result of that, sometimes humans get angry. And the full truth of the matter is, sometimes anger is the appropriate action for the event. It just depends on the event. God has wrath at the right things. God hates some things, and so on occasion it would be the right attitude or the right disposition to have for some things. But the anger we're talking about and have been talking about all week is not necessarily about the right thing that God is angry about. It's about the person with a lack of self-control who chooses this disposition because he or she believes it will get them what they want, it will serve them in some passion to punish or to just or do something to somebody who's wronged them. That's not what we're talking about. That needs to be put away from you, verse 31. What's our point here? What happens then when it happens? Verse 32, be kind. Be kind when? What if you are angry? Be kind. Be kind, the Bible says, one to another, tenderhearted. The last point was forgiveness. Guess what's here? Forgiving one another. How? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You come right back to the same notion. Because we choose anger, sometimes we feel like it's okay not to be kind. The Bible won't endorse us not being kind to people. But it becomes very challenging to be kind when you wear anger like a badge of honor, and when everything meets your disapproval, when your impatience runs afoul of the service you're receiving as a restaurant. How long have we been waiting? (laughs) Do they not know how long we've been? As if there's nobody else in the restaurant. As if it's humanly impossible for the staff to be short, as if there's no way they could have more customers than they have the ability to serve. There's no way that could happen. We've been here for 20 minutes. I'ma talk to the manager. She messed up my order. I asked for no bacon with tomatoes and lettuce and I didn't want the special sauce. (laughs) You showed up to the restaurant and there was 500 cars in the parking lot and you couldn't get a park. And then you got to the door and expected to be catered and waited on the moment you arrived. The problem is not the restaurant. And you don't want to get into the habit of living like this. You don't want to get into the habit of believing this is okay, because you'll take this disposition everywhere. And you will be met with frustration, and you will lose your anger on people constantly. And you will feel vindicated and justified because after all, it's their job to serve me and how dare they not do it in a timely fashion. And I trust that you do everything that's expected of you in a timely fashion. I trust that you do everything that's expected of you spot on without failure every single time. I trust that that's the case. You know it's not the case. The Bible says be kind. And if there's a group of people on this planet that ought to be kind it's people who have been forgiven by god through jesus christ in fact to appreciate god's position on kindness it you would do well to read romans 5 6 through 8 where the bible says while we were yet sinners christ died for us you might also want to read matthew 5 43 through 48 where jesus enjoins upon us to pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, 10 to 12, and then love your enemies, 43 through 48. Pray for them and love them. That's for your enemies. Why are you chewing up your family? You're supposed to pray for your enemies. You're supposed to love your enemies. And now your wrath and anger and vitriol is spit out upon the people you love because you're angry. No, the Bible says, be kind one to another. And to give us some sense of kindness as compared to verse 31 where there is bitterness and wrath and clamor and slandering, the Bible says, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. It becomes very hard to be kind when you are accustomed to letting your anger just run out all over people. It's very hard to be kind. And in order to be mean, kindness has to leave. You can't have kindness in your heart and meanness in your heart at the same time. And very often that meanness is intended for punishment, which is why we can't be kind at the same time you have angered me, and now I want you to hurt. I want to punish you. And so, my word choice will be that which cuts and pricks. My actions and demands will be those seeking to harm you. Real hard to be kind at the exact same time you're doing that. No, know, what the Bible would enjoin is you be kind for a good picture of it. Just walk with your Savior from the From the time he washes all of the apostles' feet to include Judas until the time he gets to the garden and then Judas kisses him and Jesus calls him friend to the time where our Lord meets the individuals in the garden and Peter strikes one of their ears and cuts it off and Jesus fixes the man's ear. You know what the Lord is still being? kind all the way to father forgive them well by now he's been beaten he's been scourged he's been mocked he has has the crown of thorns he is bleeding he's been bludgeoned he is now hoisted into the air nailed to the wood and now he says father forgive them you and i are going to have a tough sale to that savior telling him i couldn't be kind because i was angry He would probably tell us, put that anger away from you, verse 31, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving as I forgave you. Number three, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16. I mentioned this morning that sometimes our anger is not meted out at the right person. And that's true very often as it relates to how we behave in our anger, because usually God is the recipient, inevitably, of our anger. And somebody might say, well, I'm not directing my anger at God. Well, you may or may not be in your mind directing it toward God, but your behavior is toward God, and He will often be the one who suffers as a result of your anger being meted out contrary to Him. Notice verse number 14, our first relationship is always to God. And so, Peter says, how are we to behave as obedient children? Whose children? John would say we're children of God, 1 John 3, 1 and 2, and behold, we are now children of God. Whose children are we? God's. How are we to behave? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts. What we just talked about in Ephesians 4, 17 to 23, that former life, we're not supposed to live that anymore. And as an obedient child of God, I'm not supposed to revert back to my former self. I'm supposed to honor my father as obedient children. Peter says we're to live with this new knowledge. He says you were once ignorant. Don't go back like you were when you were ignorant, the end of verse 14. It makes sense to live that way when you're ignorant. It makes no sense to live that way when you have knowledge. God is the first relationship. Honor your father secondly he says God is our example to emulate verse 15 but like the one who is holy like the holy one who called you like him in fact friends that is the goal seems helpful to remind ourselves of what the goal of Christianity is it is to be like him to be transformed into his image, to have the mind of Christ, to live like God, to forgive like God, to love like God, to show mercy like God, to be like him. And so, Peter will say what all of the apostles say. As the one who called you is holy, he will then enjoin, be ye holy. In fact, in verse 16, he will say, learn the Scriptures because that's where you will find it. As it is written, this would be, at least in one place, Leviticus 11, 44, 45. And coincidentally, if you're back in the book of Leviticus, that would mean we've already come out of the Exodus. And so, if you will allow then, they have been saved, Exodus 14, 30 and 31, thus the Lord saved Israel that day. Exodus 19, 4 through 6, you've seen what I have done, how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Now if you will obey my voice indeed, you shall be my special people above all nations. They're his people, his children. What are they to live like? That would be then sanctification be ye holy for i am holy the expectation of god is that those who have become his children will live like him and friends just for the record let us be clear here there aren't any exceptions to this sometimes some christians walk around within the body of christ and they believe themselves to be accepted That somehow that applies and makes great sense for elders. That really does make great sense for elders. In fact, I would hold the elders up here, some would think, and I would expect that the elders would be walking like, I got it, okay. That makes great sense for preachers. I mean, if a man's going to preach the Word, man's got to be living it. And so, when I see a preacher and he's, I should expect great deacons, if a man is going to serve as a deacon, he's done a good work, and if that's what he's going to do, I would hold him. Friends, that's not the way Christianity works, and while that might be true of every one of those individuals, these individuals are Christians first, and then they serve in some other capacity. But every Christian is expected to be holy. Every Christian is expected to be kind. Every Christian is expected to be forgiving. These aren't things for certain groups of individuals. These are for everybody. They're just what Christianity is and what it calls us to be. But very often what happens is I get angry, and here's the key takeaway, I get angry at a human being, and I end up sinning against God. And God didn't do me any wrong. God hasn't failed me. But since you made me angry, and here God is saying, being kind, well, I'm not gonna be kind. Here you have made me angry. God says, be merciful. Listen, you're not getting any mercy from me. Well, who are you sinning against? Who are you harming? Who are you doing wrong? Your actions are against God, and God calls you to be holy. When? It's one of the reasons you and I have to stop treating anger like it's a good thing to just carry around at the drop of a head. You make me mad, i tell you about it. And sometimes people go around talking about their former life, you didn't want to see me coming. Boy, back in the day, fine, if that was back in the day, great. But you're not back in the day now, you're in Christ. And in Christ, you're not supposed to live that life. So stop it. Stop thinking it's okay to be mean, because it's not. Stop thinking it's okay to be rude, because it's not. The Bible will say, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. What makes an individual think they get to use some? I just told them what I thought. Well, get some new thoughts. (laughs) I just say what I feel. You got to feel differently then, friend. You are not exempted. You You don't get to mistreat people. You be kind. Key takeaway is don't cast God off because you're angry at a human. Let's review. Number one, don't get historical. Obviously, I'm not going back to say any more than what's on the page, and that's what's on the page. First Corinthians 13, 5, if you like a passage. Don't get historical. Listen well and then talk. That would be James 1 and verse number 19. Don't be hypocritical, Matthew 7, 1 to 5, Romans 2, 1 to 5 don't be hypercritical Luke 18 9 to 14 don't judge motives John 7 24 judge righteous judgments be honest Romans twelve seventeen. be a servant Philippians 2 5 be humble James 4 and verse number 10 be merciful Matthew 18 27 33 be a peacemaker Matthew 5 9 be patient second Peter 3 9 and verse 15 consider yourself Galatians 6 1 and 2 be forgiving Matthew 6, 14 and 15, be kind, Ephesians four thirty two, be holy, 1 Peter 1:14 to 16. You know what might be helpful is just get rid of the anger, and then you can be all of these things without issue. But these things will become very challenging if you allow anger to come a, become a normal part of your life, and you accept it, and you embrace it, and then you use it as you see fit. Paul says, put away the anger. Not a Christian tonight, become one. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Repent, change your heart, change your mind. Jesus said, if you don't, you'll perish. Confess the name of Jesus, Romans ten nine and 10, leads us unto salvation, and then be immersed in water, baptized for the forgiveness of sins. You know, the things we've talked about this evening are not intended, and throughout this entire series of thoughts, it's not intended to be impossible. These are things that every one of us can do. We are just striving to grow into the grace and knowledge of our Lord to become more and more like Him. But what anger unchecked will do is it will stop you from even working on these things. You will find a way to justify why you were upset, you will find a way to justify what you said and why it's okay. And in the end, you won't make any changes. You'll just keep being angry until the next time. God doesn't want that for us. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.